one time at game. I was at Midwinter Gaming Convention, and I was there with Underground Theater running and helping with a bunch of the LARPs there, and one of the panels I attended was a panel about how to become an independent game developer and create your own role-playing game, and how to take that game a step further and get it out to people. And that panel was run by someone named Craig Campbell. Craig, as it turned out, (laughs) is actually from about 45 minutes south of my house. And so he also had traveled the 11 hours to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, from Marietta, Georgia. I'd come from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he ran this fantastic panel about how to turn your ideas into a game. And it came at a really good time because Ashley and I had just started um, the gum belt and we were sort of floundering a little as to just how to get focused and get direction. And he ran a really wonderful little panel that was uh, less panel and actually more of like a round table where everyone just sort of talked and picked his brains and he gave his thoughts and it was incredibly helpful and he was very kind, he was very knowledgeable and he was a lot of fun. And recently when we traveled to HLG Con, we got to spend a little bit more time with him and learn about some of the games he is doing and he had a Kickstarter that launched this week for a game called Die Laughing. Alright, roll for initiative. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the only podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. LARP, mush, tabletop, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you. We all just have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to to have have fun. fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie, the legend. I don't know what that is. (laughs) It was a Muppet voice, I think. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Also... Uh, not just Carrie the Legend joining me, but so is Jason. The favorite, and the one who's still trying to figure out what eat means. I don't know what that means. So it's apparently the opposite of yoink. Oh. Okay. Well, all right. Well, if this is the first time you've ever listened to us, you should know that you can find us at honorrollpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all sorts of other places that you can find podcasts that don't suck. There are also podcasts that do suck there. Uh, it's not been my experience. We encourage you to not listen to those. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Honor Roll Podcast. Facebook.com slash group slash Honor Roll Podcast. You can send us an email at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. Or you can, of course, become a patron and help us keep this show on the air at patreon.com slash Podcast. So before we go any further, let's get a report on our Patreon backers. Welcome, everyone. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> the legend here to report on our Patreon. Traffic no, at six. Traffic at six. No, um, our, our Patreon's doing the same as it always is. Oh, okay. Well, then tell us the same names that you always tell us. Okay. Well, then we uh, we have uh, Noah Coltrip. Noah Coltrip. Yeah. He's, he's an, a newbie. A new, yeah. new, he's he's brand new-ish. new-ish. Yeah, a newbie exciting. but goody. A newbie but goody. That's yeah. right. We've got Cameron Pruitt. 
um, who is normally my favorite, but Ryan, my my husband gets that one this week because wah, wah. He, he bought me a really cool T-shirt. Oh, so cool. He surprised me, so I said, okay, you can be my favorite. Yeah. And we also got Lost Colonies with Joe Hines. Oh. Thanks, man. We appreciate you. And, of course, Ryan Martin. Who, who can't be my favorite this week either because... I said that my husband had to be my favorite oh, no. this week. I what know, about I'm Drew sorry. Stevens? Is Drew Stevens your favorite? He could be my favorite Drew. He could be your favorite Drew. Okay, that That's works. True. Okay. You know, right now, the speaking of Drew, the all-you-can-eat pasta bowl is going on at the office. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, it's a pasta bowl. And it's never ending. It never, never ends. ends. It's actually a really, really long bowl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the bowl literally just it's never It's like ends. a gutter on your house or something. Uh, it's crazy. Oh, gross. Who else are we missing? We got Brian Fox. We got Brian Fox. Um, and we also have We our... have DJ Miss Thang Music. Right? All right. Well, <laughs> my favorite. Listen, if you want to have us stumble over your name on the air, uh, you can get a shout out. We'd love to give you one. You can get one by helping us keep the show on the air by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast because that helps to pay for our equipment and our hosting fees and all of those things and also carries Pepsi. Yes. That's right. That's hey, important. Before, before we go to the next bit, I want to say... If you're on Twitter, I want you to post a picture of your gaming group and tag us at Honor Roll Podcast. We want to see what y'all look like. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. awesome. There we go. Maybe we'll reshare it. Maybe we'll retweet there it. There we go. We'll retweet Especially if you're in costume and playing a tabletop game. Yeah. yeah. Also, post pictures of yourself mushing. I want to see that, definitely. <laughs> if only if you're fully clothed. Only if you're fully clothed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please do that. All right. Well, when last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting here at this table doing a podcast, but... Something big happened. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Tell us what happened Saturday night. Well, I want to start at the beginning and say, five years ago. (laughs) I'm bored. The two of y'all were like, hey, you want to ST with us? I'm like, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I'll never forget. I was like, no, trust me. We are going to run this amazing vampire game, part of this super cool new new org called Underground Theater. You guys have to do it. And you both said yes. And then I said, great. I'm, I'm quitting. out. I'm out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be on the storytelling staff anymore because I've got to... I have to go be on the board of directors for this so new org. Yeah. I was so mad at you. I was so mad at you. It really did work out. Yeah. But I'm just giving it a hard time. Five years later, our game has come to an end. It has. Carrie, do you want to tell us about it? Oh, I I have never ran a LARP game to completion. So you've had games that ended, but it was they, more like, they well, guys, out. I'm out. Yeah, they, well, not like I'm out. It was more like they fizzled out. Like That's nobody true. was, you know, like our attendance was low or just no one was excited. More often than that, we moved. Yeah, and we did move. And um, it, yeah, and, and, and so this is the first time I've gotten to give the story I was telling an ending. So we, for the last, what, six months, we were plotting out mm-hmm. exactly how these last few games had to go. Right. And and I think we managed to give almost everyone... Something. Something. A little mm-hmm. bit of closure or whatever it is that their characters needed or wanted. Um, and I was very proud of that. Like, yeah. I would, you know, we got, we had a bunch of NPCs show up that people asked to see mm-hmm. one last time and it was just nice. You know, right? the thing I was proudest of was the fact that the, the assumption is that the end of a game is going to be a slaughterhouse. 
Like yeah. everybody just assumed a vamp the vampire game is going to end with the sabat rolling everybody or something like that. Right. And I was really proud of the fact that we had came up with an ending that uh, actually was a happy ending. Yeah. It was a and that never happens in vampire. No, it was I wouldn't say happy, but definitely not it it was it had hope. Yeah, it was, it was it was a new start. A new start. I think yeah. that was great. Yeah, through um and and I think we can tell folks through a yeah. through a collection of uh, and we should preface this by saying that the one thing that we have learned in all of our years of of gaming is that when you tell people the plot of the game you just played in, it always sounds stupid. Uh, I, I was experiencing that today while somebody was describing. There's this there's this big pearl LARP that they do like twice a year that I've been wanting to go to. That sounds stupid. And then they describe <laughs> the backstory of it. I'm like. I know that if I was there, this would feel great, yeah, right? But, 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 but describing it to me right now, I'm like, well, that's silly. Like, yeah. so last night at at afters at, right. at our uh, at City Cafe, somebody asked, "What is what was this plot? Would you explain this plot to me?" Sure. And I was, uh, you know, and you get that like queasy. Uh. I'm like, oh, don't make <laughs> me explain. Okay. And so I explained where it came from, why we did it, and the player went. Oh my god, that's awesome! And I went, oh, oh, that's so. It exciting. worked. It worked. We did, we did okay, okay, so let's let's the, tell it. It's okay. a really short version. I'm going to really oversimplify yeah, yeah. this to keep it from sounding too stupid. <laughs> okay, but uh, there there was a national plot in the org that involved pieces of the red shard, which that's was the red star. Pieces of the red stars, and they called them red shards. And they could do just about anything because it was wonky Red Star stuff. If you know anything about Vampire and Werewolf the Apocalypse, you you might be familiar with some of that. Uh, but basically, um, we used fragments of the Red Shard to end our game with all of our characters becoming human again. Right. And, and it's a little more complicated than that, but at the end of the day, that's the big right. picture. And the, but the more and the more we explain it, the more it will sound dumb. So, like, <laughs> so let's just stop now. <laughs> left it at that. Well, let's this really let's cool just say all of our players were seemed happy and pleased with the result. Yeah, and that's and, really the most important thing. Right. There was this really great moment where we like we did it. And then it was like, how do we make them realize that that's what's happened? Because you don't want to just hold up your out-of-character hand and go, you guys are all human now. My favorite thing was when the guy goes, well, I used this power. And I'm like, you don't have that power. And he goes, what? And then everybody in the room started like, uh, 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 I tried to do this. I tried to do that. Nobody's power worked. And then the next thing that we did was we said... And suddenly, all of your stomachs are growling. Yeah. yeah. You want food. Not blood. Food. Actual food. That's right. And then they all went to crystals. So yeah, it was a good thing. Ah, <laughs> it, uh, it was just the love that never ends. That's right. So anyway, so that was exciting. So that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the big news uh, with us. So, yeah. I know. I think we're probably going to take like two months to decompress. Well, I'm going to take two months to work an outage. Well, yeah, so. you're going to work an outage. <laughs> yeah. but. All right. Well, yeah, well, we already have ideas percolating. I, I, it's not even 24 hours. And we're it's, like, oh, I got it. Our next game. Stuff. Right on. All right. Well, um, so that was pretty much it. So I guess then let's go ahead and uh, and move to combat rounds. We're going to talk to Craig Campbell, what? independent game designer and, and Kickstarter expert. Kickstarter expert. Kickstarter expert. Kickstarter expert. All right, let's go to combat rounds. <laughs> Whoa. 
Welcome to Combat Rounds. So today we are talking to Craig Campbell, who is the man behind Nerd Burger Games. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you probably listened to our live play of his game, Die Laughing. Oh man, that was a lot of fun. It and, was. And the exciting thing about Die Laughing is he is a, he has just launched it on Kickstarter, and so he's here to talk a little bit about that and about being a, a game developer. So hello, Craig. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. And Die Laughing is already funded, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) It's a ton of fun, and it's quick to play, and you could teach anybody to do it in about five minutes. Oh, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Die Laughing for the folks, if there's anyone who hasn't listened to our live play. How dare they? (laughs) (laughs) Die Laughing is a a short play, one or two hour role-playing game. Um, It's GM-less, so... um, the game kind of helps you construct the story and uh, players, it's, all, it's, it's very interactive and very narrative driven and kind of improvisational with a structure underneath it. Um, it's a horror comedy and the, 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 expect, the expectation when you sit down to play the game is that character is going to die, almost certainly. Um, that's <laughs> kind of, of the point all of the of game. Them. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, but you can make it funny and uh, you know you can still play out the game, you play out the game to kind of figure out when it happens and um, and, and see how funny you make it. And then once your character is gone, there are a number of ways for you to remain involved in the story. So you're not just sitting there on your thumb with no character. Um, and probably the most uh, um, most involvement that you have is you, you know you, you become a producer on the movie. And so you continue to you get uh, producer points, and you have a bunch of special things you can do with those in order to manipulate the story and mess with the other characters and uh, just kind of jack things up most of the time. That's usually how people play it. They go in there and they just kind of start throwing chaos into the mix. Um, I, I can to, imagine... To reshape the story. I can imagine a few of my friends actually sort of almost racing to be the first one dead so that they can have the most producer points to try and kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as one of the people who died very early in our actual play, I really was surprised at how engaged I was for the rest of the game because even if I didn't spend a producer point in a scene... I was looking for that perfect moment to do it. So it kept me interested and engaged even after my character was gone. I found that there's essentially three ways that people play it. And it's it's part of its group dynamic and part of its individual dynamic. I've had a couple times with people who have played the game before when they come in the when they come back in, they're ready to just let their character die very quickly because, like you said, they do enjoy the the producer aspect of it. Um, so they just go ahead and, and um, gun for just like whatever they can to get their character killed quickly. They have no problem with that. Then there's the group dynamic too, where you see some groups will um, kind of whittle down everybody's life point totals all at the same time. So that you all kind of just kind of slowly fade away. And then there's other groups where everybody like gangs up on somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And when, when it comes time for you to, to make trade checks and when you make the trade checks in your scenes, that's one of the, that's for, for various reasons. Um, you uh, you lose life points, but you know if everybody kind of gangs up on one person, you can kill somebody off in like three scenes. Yeah, um, and then boom, they're a producer. And what that you know, and I don't know that people always realize it, but you know, you gang up on somebody and you, and you kill their character off very quickly. They become a producer with the most producer points that you can have in the game because they died early, and now they're they're basically untouchable. Nobody can do anything to them, and they've got these points now that they can screw with you, the people who killed them off. Right. They get their revenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They can spend the entire rest of the game just plotting and and executing de- uh, revenge. I, one of the things um, that I thought was so fun yeah. about it was was the way uh, when when you lose a health point, which is uh, or a health die, 
you know, it doesn't just go away. It's not like you just mark it off a sheet or something. You have to give it to someone. Yeah, when, well, with the last one, yeah. And, right. and I find that to be a lot of fun uh, because, you know, you kind of – their fate is in your hand. <laughs> and if they treated you badly before, you're not going to give it to them. <laughs> well, yeah. and in, in, in the genre of horror movies, generally when someone dies – to help someone else. That's, That's almost always what happens. So right. like even if it's inadvertently, of, they save one other right. person. Right. I yeah. died so you could keep going, so have right. an extra die. So where did die laughing come from? Oh boy. Um it came from many, many years of playing RPGs and um when I would play horror RPGs, there's a lot of different types, right? There's there's ones that focus on mood and setting, and then there's ones that are kind of about the scare. Um you know, terrifying things. And then there's full on, you know, like character, characters die regularly kind of horror games. Right. Um, and the downfall of most of those games, the, 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 you know, the problem to an extent is what do you do when your character dies? <laughs> um, you know, and usually the answer is make another character. Right. Um, or play an NPC that's been previously introduced for the rest of that game session to make another character for the next one. Um, and that removes a little bit of the sting, um, a little, you know, there's like, there's no permanence to death because you're just coming back with a character every time. Um, so I, I started toying around with the idea of a game, of a horror game, where you had something, you know, when your character died, you had something else to do. And the, this game went through multiple iterations. Um, it started out as, as, a, as a more traditional RPG called One of Them, tentatively. Um, <laughs> That's not a terrible which name. Was, I like that. <laughs> right. right. And, and it, was, it was a kind of more traditional game where you had GM and players, and as your characters um, – kind of left the game you didn't your character didn't get killed your character became one of them it was always like vampires or zombies or demonic possession mm. or ghostly possession like where you would join the ranks of the monsters right and as you played the game the intent was that then you would become part of the gm team and there would be things for you to do along with the gm and then that would you know so at the table you'd be replicating like what happens in that movie where like literally ryan you know, you're no longer your character's no longer there. You're part of my team now. So as the game goes along, the other players at the table are going to start to get outnumbered, right? Just like their characters are. Um, and uh, you know, I tried it that way, and I toyed around with an, uh, making it kind of like a straight up story game without uh, you know a little more along the lines of fiasco. And I tinkered with an idea for a card game based uh, version of it. And I mean. It, over the course of several years, it just kind of I, re, I would revisit it every so often. And then I hit on this movie making idea a while back, and that opened up the, the doors. It's like it the whole game just kind of fell out of my head at that point because I was like, oh well, it takes a lot of people to make a movie. So you're when you're gone, you become a producer. And I toyed around with other ideas for like other roles that you could play. And you know, there's a director role that rotates around the group, so there's always that to do. And Every monster has like a unique little rule thing that comes into play, and so there's plenty to do, and that that came out of the movie idea, which works um, really well, and I think it gets everybody kind of into the spirit of the game very quickly. You can immediately identify like, oh, you know, horror movies, B movies, um, low budget stuff, you know, stuff that you know people can latch onto it however they want, and right, you, you get an immediate sense of like how the game is supposed to be played. Do you think that we'll uh, – I mean one of the cool things about the, the whole cinema sort of theme is that it sort of opens you up to, to other genres too. I mean I could see you you know, following Die Laughing up with you know, 50s sci-fi or uh, 80s action films or something. You know, like I, I, can see, I could see you really adapting this to do other things with it in the future if you wanted to. 
I've, I've toyed with the idea. I thought about the mechanic for the game, which is the, it's a bunch of D6s. Everybody starts with a pool and they reduce, you know, your pool reduces as you go. And I've thought about other ways to use that general mechanic where you wouldn't necessarily reduce people down to nothing. Um, although you could, you just maybe when you run out of dice, it's not that your character dies. It's that something else happens, something, right. you know, whatever the important thing is for that type of story. I'm not sure right. what that might be, but I've, I've had a few ideas kind of run through my head. Um, yeah, Ed, but then also, you know, you also could have, you know, mechanics for getting dice back into the game, too. And so you can have this fluctuating dice pool, keep it real simple, just D6s, a few traits, a few abilities. Right. Um, and emulate, like you said, like some sort of very specific genre There's, using that. I think it's the fiasco element that makes me think of that. Because, you know, the, the cool thing, one of the things I like most about Die Laughing is how it had... Uh, sort of elements of a lot of different games. There was a bit of a, sort of an apples to apples or cards against humanity sort of sort of mechanic where you know there's a judge sort of or a director in this case each round, and that rotates around the table. Um, you've got a little bit of a of a you know tabletop RPG feel where everybody has a character sheet with life points uh, and you do and special roll, powers and special yeah. powers right that are all cool right yeah. and then you've got this other element of fiasco where it's really very just free form kind of improvisation improv. in a in a slowly escalating uh, scenario you know that gets a little bit worse or a little more intense every you know every scene um, and so so I, I you really hit on on some really cool things. And there's no question there. Yeah. I was just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and the question is, I, thank you. <laughs> no, but I can, I can respond to that. That's okay. We can just have a conversation. Yeah. Okay. No um, there was, uh, when, when I hit on this idea and I started tinkering with the, the dice mechanic and I decided, realized that, okay, there will in fact be character sheets with a few traits and things, then I found myself thinking about it very legitimately and very specifically in terms of like kind of being a hybrid between a traditional RPG and a free-flowing um, story game. And so that may be people who are who really like traditional RPGs where they, it's like, I got a character, I've got stats. I got dice I roll that are based on those stats. And that's the game, that's the kind of game they like. Um, that this could be, you know, Die Laughing could be one of those things that allows them to dip their toe into a more free-flowing narrative game because they still have those familiar elements that they right. love so much. Right, yeah. It's it's almost like they they've got something to hold on to from the other side. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. They dip, dip their toe in. Well, I was also going to say one of the things I liked about it is sometimes those freeform games they feel like a little bit of uh, what we used to call it. You know, like we playing cops and robbers and you shoot the other guy and he says, "No, I'm not dead." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. since there's just a little, just a tiny amount of crunch, it, it provides narrative structure and uh, and your slowly reducing dice mechanic makes it so that every game has a satisfying conclusion built into the game itself. The mechanics push you and almost force you to have a satisfying conclusion to every game. And I, I enjoyed that. I hope, I hope that the mechanics get you there. I mean, I joke sometimes that there's one mechanic in the game and it does two things, and that's it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it helps you resolve success or failure in a scene and it helps you get characters closer to death. <laughs> that's really that's really the whole mechanic of the game. Right? Well, yeah, but that's uh, it's simple and streamlined, and that makes yeah. it fun because you could like we played an entire session in under it was like ninety minutes, like ninety minutes, yeah. and that included time it took to learn how to play the game. Right. I so, mean, it helped yeah. that you know we had the creator of the game sitting there coaching us, but really, yeah, it, <laughs> it was very straightforward, and any question you might have could very easily be answered immediately. Like, right. oh, okay, well, we'll just and, do it and, this time and keep going. And what I loved about it is that. 
there was no one that was running the game. We were all running the game together. So, like, I didn't feel pressure. Okay, now we got to run this role-playing game for everybody. Like, we're just doing it together. You see, what I like about that is, I, you know, I still like to run games. Right. But I like to play in them, too. Mm-hmm. And it's an experience where I get to do both. And I get to change those impulses back and forth as they go around. Right. Yeah. So how many people can play? How, how many total people does the game support? 100. Uh, well, it's, oh. it's essentially designed for four to eight players. Oh. And keeping in mind, it's GM list, so that's everybody at the table. Right. Um, four players, uh, like four or five players works okay. Four is kind of the minimum if you don't have four, you know. I mean, you, you know how the mechanics play out. You get down to those last two, that last, the last two characters, and then the survivor awfully quick. And it, there's like not much meat to the story if you don't at least have four. Right. Um, and it can go up to eight. I've, I've, I've played at tables with eight, and it, you know, it'll take two hours or a little more um, with eight players, just because you got to spend all the time getting everybody killed. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the sweet spot is right to. Six. That's, that's the one that I see. I think that even if if the people if the players are completely new to it. And they've got to learn the rules that you can do a six-player game in anywhere between like an hour and a half and two hours, depending on how role-play heavy those players like to be. Right. right. Well, you have a lot of control over that based on how long you let your scenes run and yep. uh, you know how much table talk you have. You can you can run it as quickly as or as drawn out as you like. How long did you work on this game? Over a decade. Really? Over a decade um, wow. since the first inception, but it was like I said, it was one of those things that I would I would pop into, I'd tinker around with the night with with some of it, and then it wouldn't be quite what I wanted it to be, and then I'd say, all right, fine, set it aside and do it. For this iteration, it was oh geez, I don't know exactly when I started like putting down the first rules, but I want to say like inception to the uh, to the point where we're at the Kickstarter. Somewhere in between a year and a year and a half, a little over a year, year, right. two months, three months. Is that what your process usually looks like? Um, it, it that that was that's a, that, that that's a short development period, but die laughing is a really simple game. So the playtesting didn't, you know, playtesting and revision and development didn't take near long. Writing the game in the first place didn't take the, all that long. I mean, like when I first sat down to write and to design the game, I de- like designed the basics of the game. There was uh, you. You know, I just designed, there's 20 scenes, and it started, I had six characters and four monsters, and the rules. That's what I wrote. I mean, that's that's not a lot. Right. Um, and I started playtesting with that. And then, you know, I just expanded it as, as I playtested. Um, and it was at uh, PAX Unplugged last year, so about a year ago, that um, somebody suggested that the scenes were a little random. There was, there was basically, initially, there was 20 different scenes, and you just rolled a d20. And I was planning to have more and have a different dice roll that, to, to, to handle that. Just the idea of breaking it up into Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 of a movie. Um, and, and that was, a, it actually, two different people suggested that. And that was, like, you know, and at the beginning of this year, I, I kind of firmed all that up and then ran playtesting over the summer <laughs> um, and into the fall a little bit. Right. Well, the beauty of uh, your system is to roll 2.6, to pick it is that you have some control over what where it's going to be landing because like we ran into attacks are the most common occurrence but that's not the only thing that happens what i'm trying to say is because it's a 2.6 roll and there's some statistical change as opposed to that 20 which is all over the place that right you- well yeah and the, the the 2d6 for each you know each act one each act has um 11 possible results 2 to 12 Right. Rolling two d six, and right. seven is the most common roll that you can get with two d six. 
Um, and so in every act, seven is always a monster attack because there needs to be plenty of monster attacks. But then you know, I, I sat there and I looked at all the, you know, the percentages for the rest of that. It's a V curve, not a bell curve. Right. Um, but, you know, seven and then six and eight are the next most common. And so I always made sure that like <laughs> you can kind of break it down. If you look at it, you'll see like there's seven is a monster attack and then six and eight are scenes that are based on two different traits. And then um, so that's six and eight and then five and nine are scenes that are based on the other two traits. <laughs> and then when you get to the lower and when you get down to lower numbers, you flip those pairings so that percentage wise, it's roughly the same amount of times that one of those four traits, you know, that you're not going to be getting one, the, the same one trait a lot more than others. You right. know, they're, they're, there's a better, there's a good chance that you're going to kind of see an even spread across the four traits um, so that, you know, certain characters don't kind of get hosed if they don't have the, the right trait be the good one. Right. Um, and then each, each, each act is a little different with, uh, you know, the act one scenes are all about setting up the, the story and um, do a lot of character interactions, a lot of scenes that you see early in a horror movie that are just mostly intended to introduce you to characters and their relationships. And then act two is all about escalating more monster. And, and then act three, you know, it's almost darn near every act three scene is, is in some way about the monster. Right. So how many resolution of the story? How many characters did did it are ending up in this final Kickstarter version? Sixteen. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's eight um, archetypal high school college student types, like you know the jock and the cheerleader and the nerd and so forth. And then there's eight that are kind of the archetypal um, parent or older um, person characters that are you know there's a cop and a soldier and a parent and a teacher. Right. Um, so you can kind of mix it up out. a little bit. Yeah, you can mix it up how, kind of how you, however you want it. And they're presented – like the the, the, um, the high school characters are presented first in alphabetical order and then the adult characters are presented second in alphabetical order. So you can always – and I even have a little note like in the – at the beginning of the character chapter where it says, you know, if you want to keep something that's like a classic high school slasher movie, then just use the first eight characters. Right. Oh, I was just wondering how many monsters you ended up with. Uh, there's 14 in the, in the game right now. And they, they, every every monster is um, essentially a spoof of a classic horror monster, um, without um, hitting on any intellectual property. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so, which is your favorite monster? Oh, I love all my monsters equally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a soft spot for Ned Slapper with weird weapons. Um, <laughs> One of the first ones I designed, and that's the you know the the, sla- the archetypal slasher type villain. He just is somebody that runs around and kills people with you know like. And the the, the special rule for them is that when you narrate your character's death, you have to use the char- the, the the monster kills a story. So that you're always having to improvise. You know, it's not just a machete every time. You know, they right. have to use it. If so, if you have if you have eight players, you're going to kill seven characters. There's going to be seven very unique. Um, weapons. Right. Okay, used. that's cool. I like that. <laughs> cool. So, talk to us about the whole process of, of kickstarting a game and and the, <laughs> like the the nuts and bolts production behind the scenes. Because I know you've shipped what two games now through Kickstarter, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, you fulfilled both of them. But at this point, and this is your third at bat, and it yep. seems like you've mastered this more than a lot of other people. Oh, well, the system was um, like a year or so before I kickstarted Murders and Acquisitions, I put it together, the one-year plan. It was a little document of all the things I needed to do. It was a to-do list, and it was really long. 
Um, and one of the things on that list was research Kickstarters. <laughs> so I, I, I just pecked away at it for like a year. I, you know, just dove in. I, I, I followed in some cases backed, but in some cases just made notes for myself and followed, um, a variety of Kickstarters, many of them similar to the types of things that I was doing, but I also kind of looked at a few others just to see how things went, what kind of stretch goals people did, how many updates people, uh, sent out, you know, like what their funding goals were, how they kind of handled, uh, um, backer interaction, um, and, uh, and then just did a lot of digging into all the kind of the, what makes a good Kickstarter page, um, you know, uh, it, it just, it, uh, I jumped a couple of different, uh, Kickstarter Facebook groups and talked, you know, went to other firms and places and just, you know, listened to what everybody had to say and read blogs on the subject. It was all over, you know, I did a ton of stuff and, uh, you know, just kind of came with a strategy that I felt would work for the first game, uh, mergers and acquisitions. And, uh, you know, it's a small scale game, um, not terribly expensive to uh, fund everything that was needed to, to make the game. But, you know, more more money than I have, you know, just that I can just easily slap down. Right. Um, so, you know, went to Kickstarter um, and in part used it as, you know, Kickstarter is very much a marketing tool as well. Yeah, it is. So, so tell us for just very briefly about murders and acquisitions. It's a tabletop game, right? Yep. Kind of a traditional tabletop RPG. You got a GM um, who's called the supervisor, and all the players. Um, and uh, it's uh, the, the the game. The game book itself is like 176 pages, I think. Um, all self-contained. Everything you need is in the game in that book. Um, although there's also like some support material and the character sheet and all that kind of stuff that you can get. But those, you know, everything you need is actually in the book. Um, and it's it's a um, kind of a fantasy wish fulfillment game for anybody who's ever worked in an office and had a crappy boss. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's all about climbing the corporate ladder by whatever means necessary. It's, it's you know, it's, a, it's absurd. It's at the top. It's uprote. Um, you know, think about any jokes people might say, might make about corporate America and how cutthroat it is. Well, you know, ramp that up as much as you possibly can and then act, add in actual violence. <laughs> so, so it's Wolfram and Hart. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, you can play. That's the, I make a note of that actually. Uh, <laughs> I pointed it out to people that like the core game is set in the modern day and it's got nothing supernatural in it. It's mm -hmm. just you know this corporate game. Um, and then there's a series of optional rules that are in there too. A bunch of chapters that are just plug and play things that if you want to add some fantastical stuff, make mm -hmm. your world a little different, you could actually take the core game, add in some of the magic stuff, a handful of monsters, and then there's a chapter on cosmic horror and you could pick one of those to be like the senior partners um, <laughs> and, and literally play like Wolfram and Hart, nice. a, a bunch of evil lawyers that are all battling for supremacy. Now, when that, firm. when that went to Kickstarter, were, did you, uh, did you self publish or did you fulfill those books with a drive through RPG fulfillment? Yeah. Everything's drive through RPG. That's my, that's my model, my business model. Um, I live in an apartment building. Um, so getting and lots of boxes I don't of books, have yeah, to space not. to warehouse, and I don't want to pay to warehouse elsewhere, and I don't want to. I, I do enough, you know, like I design it and then I publish it, and I do everything I have to to just get the game made and get the get get printed. But like the next step is to like actually be the fulfiller and be the warehouser and take orders and ship them and everything, and something I'm not interested. In. I really don't have the space for. Right. So 
Um, I, I've kept it all. It's all drive through RPG, but but everything that gets made, all the big all the big games are all print on demand too. So you can get physical books as well as PDFs. Right. So what was what was the was there a mistake or a miscalculation or an error that you made that you learned from with murders and acquisitions? What was if there was what was it? What did you learn? Well, I don't know if it was a mistake, but it's something I, I realized. Like I fulfilled the game, everything went okay. The, the Kickstarter. Um, funded in in a few days, and I ended up uh, like I I did well enough to pay for everything that was left to be de- uh, developed, and to reimburse myself for money I had spent up front, um, and I made no real profit of any significance on it. Um, then I realized just how niche the game is. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's a game about beating people up in an office. Um, it has its audience, but it's certainly not a very large audience. Maybe more people, you know, people continue to find it. I, I do sell copies um, through drive-thru, but it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty narrow target. Um, and, you know, I kind of knew that, but, it, you know, it wasn't until after the Kickstarter happened and then like a year's worth of sales show that yeah yeah this is like this is a very narrow yeah um niche um very narrow audience um and that's okay you know i had to kind of think about that as like do i want to try and make something that's a little broader a little more appeal and um you know i thought about it for a while for quite a while and and ultimately the answer is no um i don't think i'll ever make a, a like a broad fantasy game right um there's too much to compete with Maybe I'd get a nice little following and I'd sell more books, but there's sure. a lot to compete with. It makes it extra hard to do that. Um, I like to do the weird little niche things that kind of, you know, and I've, I've come to find, like, is there is there an audience for, you know, a game that, that's about beating people up in an office? Yeah, it turns out there is. <laughs> um, is there is there an audience for 1920s gangsters with superpowers? Yep. Right. <laughs> Believe now, it or not, there is. So that's your, um, se- your second project yeah. then, right? Yeah. So Capers is the one that uh, that you went came separate second, and it is the 1920s superhero gangsters, like you said. Uh, so where where did that idea germinate? <laughs> that was a weird one in that I had done this, I had done murders and acquisitions, and I wanted to do something different. And I looked at murders and acquisitions and realized that I had kind of shot myself in the foot. Here's maybe the it's a happy accident. It's not a mistake. It's a happy accident because it's like murders and acquisitions has a little subset of rules for magic, a little subset for monsters, future tech, cosmic horror, and the apocalypse. You can actually bring the apocalypse about in your game. Um, and then I thought, okay, so what do I want to make? Do I want to make a game that has magic in it? Well, I, you know, I just designed a game that has magic in it. I just designed a game that has monsters that has kind of futuristic stuff. And so I was like, so I, I started just tinkering around, you know, thinking about different genres, and um, Supers was one of the ones that I kind of hit on, and I was watching Boardwalk Empire on HBO. And because when I was thinking about the Supers thing, and I was like, well, you know, I'm making these niche games, that's fine, I'm cool with that. I'm not going to make like a modern day, Golden Age or Silver Age style, you know, I'm, there's, if you want to play a, 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 a traditional modern day supers game there's 40 of them out there right <laughs> right you don't need my version of that so i started looking at like things that i could do to spin it in a different direction and you know time period is one of those things that you can look at and i kind of i really love uh Boardwalk empire i'm i'm enamored of the romantic idea of the of the gangster i mean even though technically those people were murderous thugs um there's the there's the idealized kind of you know the jimmy cagney movies and um, the Untouchables and uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire and just like the really interesting characters and in, in that era. 
So um, started pursuing that, and that kind of that turned into capers. Um, about a third of the way through the development, I realized I wasn't making a supers game. I was making a gangsters game um, <laughs> where the gangsters happened to have superpowers. So that kind of informed it um, even more. And uh, it, it did all right. That one did uh, twice as well on Kickstarter as Murders and Acquisitions. So, so cool. you broke even on Murders and Acquisitions. And did you, did you, were you able to at least make a buck or two off of Capers, I hope? Yeah, I Good. cushioned the uh, bank accounts for Nerdburger Games a, a bit. Not not terribly much, sure. but you know <laughs> enough to be like um, enough to feel confident to go ahead and start pouring money into Die Laughing, right? Um, kind of upfront, so that I don't have to wait on the back end so long. Um, so I, you know, I got like right now, not to jump to the next game, but just to, you know, right now, um, you know, artwork and layout are underway. Editing is done. So I mean, this 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 game should turn over pretty quickly because. You know, I had a cushion of money that I was like, okay, fine, I'll just start spending some money. <clears throat> right. I have con- I have confidence in die laughing. I'll take that gamble. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Capers did Capers did pretty well. Good. And good. Uh, and now it's just fulfilling. And so I'm gonna st- I get you know I get to spend that first year or so just kind of seeing, okay, is this gonna sell any better <laughs> long term than right. mergers and acquisitions? We'll see. Is it is it just as niche, <laughs> or is it maybe a slightly broader niche that's all a little better? Yeah, you know, I have capers and I I love it. The book is beautiful and it feels like the kind of thing that if it if it continues to do well, you know, that one feels like you could have a little bit of a supplemental splat book market. Funny you should see that. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's capers too? Electric Boogaloo, Boogaloo, Boogaloo like. <laughs> um, capers Noir is going to play testing in a boat. <laughs> Why didn't we play that too? That's what I want to know. Noir! <laughs> It's not written. Well, it was only partly written at the time. It's, uh, it's wrapped in, uh, the first draft is written. It's going to go to some playtesters um, in about a week. Oh, I have to fan myself. So it's, <laughs> it's, taking, it's taking the Capers game, which is set in the 20s, moving it forward to the 40s, and instead of being kind of a prohibition story with uh, criminals and gang, you know criminals and law enforcement, it's still criminals and law enforcement, but it's crime noir right. from right. the 40s. Um, so there's going to be investigation rules. Um, there's going to be, uh, I'm introducing a, a, a bit of a horror element to it. There's going to be, um, ghosts and fiends and, and thing, you know, dark things in the shadows. Uh, you know, all those great noir shadows that you see, all the, you know, the, 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 the lines of the blinds that fall across everything. And right. Yeah. Deep in those shadows, there are things living there too. <laughs> um, because World War II, um, is happening or has just finished depending on, and when you're playing, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, death and devastation, and the veil between the worlds has thinned a little bit, and the ghosts are coming out. So there's a there's yeah a little bit of a horror, which I I really dig the idea of having uh, your character go like part of your adventure can be an investigation into something, um, and you actually end up questioning a ghost. Right. Yeah. That sounds fun. I'm in. So is is Capers Noir going to be its own book? It's will it be a standalone or is it going to be more like a supplement to the the basic Capers book? It's a supplement. Um, okay. Cool. The, uh, yeah. So that you, you need Capers book to play it. Right. Um, but it it just introduces some character options, some you know, optional rule kind of stuff. Um, a backdrop for use during the 1940s. The backdrop for this game will be set in Los Angeles, um, and then uh, there's you know some other 
some other fun tidbits in there. And it's got, of course, some new, new powers. Um, right. And, you know, like I said, character options and stuff. That's all. You, you, can, you can play the Capers game and just, you know, go ahead and use those other powers, too. So it just broadens your base of um, character options and powers um, for uh, the core game, even if you want to do that. And the, in, the intent is to, if I do more, we'll see how Capers Noir does. Because um, uh, supplements for a little tiny, you know, game lines for little tiny games are tough. Right. Um, <laughs> they're, uh, you know, every, the, the core sells best, right? Yeah. Adventures can sell pretty good. Uh, supplement books um, don't sell, you know, nearly as well as the core books. So I'm going to, you know, see what happens with the first one. And if it's, uh, if it's if it, if, it, if it isn't just like a break even kind of thing, if I actually do a little, you know, do do fairly well on it, I have ideas for two more. Right. Cool. And will that will those are you gonna kick? Will you kickstart that as well, or will that just drop straight to drive through? I'll kickstart that. It'll probably be a short Kickstarter. Um, you know, the uh, the 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 base buy-in will be just for Capers Noir, but then there'll be a backer level that you can get Capers Noir and Capers right. for those people that for those people that missed it. So maybe the people who Said uh, <laughs> prohibition, not my thing. But then they say, "Oh, super super powered characters with noir stuff and ghosts and things." Well, maybe that is my thing. And then they buy the two things and they can play the game. Right. <laughs> Sounds a lot a lot of fun. Yeah, very cool. So what what did you learn from the from Capers? The, oh, what did I learn from Capers? Yeah, was there was there any? Is, the reason I asked this question is because I've kickstarted a book and learned. Uh, I made mistakes and learned a lot of things, and so I. Can I, you say one of your mistakes was kickstarting a book? <laughs> <laughs> Going through the process at all? <laughs> well, you know, I think that I think I learned from from each of the kickstarters that I've done. I've learned like the value of. Um, kind of upping your game with um, with what the Kickstarter page looks like, with what the product is. You know, like Murders and Acquisitions is black and white. I did that kind of by necessity because I was like, I'm just taking my first stab at this. I'm not going to go crazy with uh, super high production quality um, because nobody knows who I am and who's going to back that, right? Right. So I wanted to keep it keep it reasonable. Um, but I'm learning that I, you know, like there's a, there's an actual fan base there and and. They are interested in seeing more, so I'm, I'm taking another stat. You know, I, Capers went full color. Um, Die Laughing is kind of a, a departure. You know, like the, like the biggest thing I learned is that, like, there really is – there is an audience for little niche kind of things if that's what you're cool with doing. Right. Um, you know, if I wanted to make significant profit, I would do something that, you know, a little more general um, that is in a genre that is a popular genre. Um, like do a broad science fiction game, yeah, um, or a broad fantasy game. Um, with the spin, you know, you could probably do pretty well with that kind of stuff. That's not those aren't the games that I'm interested in making. And in you know, I'm three games, basically three games in as far as at least being designed. Um, and then you know, other stuff that's kind of in the works. And I just I you know I keep learning. Oh yeah, this is like I don't I don't want to make the broad thing. I want to make the little niche thing. Um, and I've, I've, you know, it's taken a little while to kind of come with like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Right. Now, um, you know, I, I work a day job. I'm good at it. I enjoy it. I'm fine financially. I don't need to, I don't need to make a bunch of money. I wouldn't mind for capers to do really well. <laughs> to make some money. Um, 
but you know, if it if it just kind of does what it does, and it's never you know, it's not a life changing amount of money or anything, or like a significant monthly addition to my um, income, then okay, that's fine. Um, and I'm getting better at engaging my audience too. I think you know, I had had somebody that suggested um, getting a Discord up and running, um, where I hadn't been doing that before, and I did that, and I was like. I've had more activity. I had more activity and interest in people actually talking and chatting and doing stuff on the Discord in like the first month than I did in six months of, of a G plus community. Right. Okay. Well, um, let me ask like you three what times is, the three or four times the amount of people. Well, you know, it's probably good you've made that move since Google yeah. Plus <laughs> is going away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so tell us. So Discord uh, for folks if they don't know, is, what tell us what what is Discord and how do you use it? Also for folks like us who know what it is but are terrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm using it in just you know essentially like a community um, website. Um, it's intended. It's I, I believe its initial inception was for video gamers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's ways for you know, if you're if you're a member of a guild or a group that's doing whatever video game and you're you've got a group that you want to be able to organize, you can have these chants where you can talk about this and that, and you can plan your game times. And there's a chat. There's a voice chat feature in there, so you can talk to the people while you're playing MMOs and things like that. Um, and it's been it's been co-opted by you know a number of other. Um, industries so to speak and i think there's you know there's a fair number of rpg designers who use it because it's it's a it's a nice way to say okay here's here's a community area i can create channels i can have a channel for each game i can have a couple of channels for you know off topic kind of stuff i can have a spot for announcements um and it's um it's a relatively you know it's it's a pretty user-friendly kind of thing so i've you know i i've i've gotten to communicate quite a bit with the people who who frequent discord and actually, you know, like develop a bit of a relationship with the fans because I don't make it to every convention. I'm a little bitty company, and I don't do this full time. So, you know, getting a, getting a, finding a way to get in touch with and uh, and be um, engaged with the the fan base is is always useful because I mean it's a it's a marketing tool and it's it's one of those things that RPGs are kind of unique or not unique necessarily amongst all things, but they're 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 well known for designers are pretty accessible right for most game game companies like because you can go to a convention and you can even with the big companies like you can go to a convention and talk to jason bowman from paizo or you can go and talk to chris perkins from D, uh, from wizards uh for D and you know in every other company i mean you know you don't necessarily see that happening with board game designers or video game designers right, or right. you know some of that stuff but rpgs uh, have such a small <laughs> chunk of the market when it comes to gaming um that uh, it's kind of a necessity, and and RPGs are inherently social. They're sitting yeah. at a t- you know they started as sitting at a table actually talking to people, so it, it makes sense that that game, uh, the game that is very social in its nature, has a very social marketing component. So, what is your advice to someone? You know, if we've got somebody listening who is like, you know, I I've always wanted to tinker around with with making my own game, doing a little indie game or whatever. You know, we live in a really amazing time right now where anyone can actually do that. Right. Uh, what what sort of advice would you give? Well, uh, first advice: do it. There's nothing stopping you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you, That's the really hard part. <laughs> well, you have to find your way of motivating yourself. Right. But as far as like, you know, as far as the the end, you know, the end game of getting the game into other people's hands, there's, you know, 
even if your game is just PDFs with uh, with stock art or no art, and just maybe it's got some cool graphic stuff to kind of help to break up the page, you can put something out there and get it in people's hands. Um, and you got to figure out what your market is. If you just want people to play your game, you know, then you, you, it, there's there's absolutely nothing stopping you from doing it, um, other than just getting off your ass and doing it. And you know, like I've said, I've like the, the audience is there, and I've like one of the pieces of advice I give to aspiring designers when I talk to them um, is to say, you know, there, there's an audience for the for the game idea you have. That audience is sitting there waiting for you to make that game. When that when you make that game available to them, they are going to be, oh yep, there it is. That's what I was looking for all this time. And sometimes that audience is like they didn't even know they were looking for it until there it is. You know, they're out there waiting for that game, that game idea that you have. There are people that are going to want that thing. Um, so just yeah, just dive dive in and do it. You know, make make time for the design work um, in your life and whatever works well for you. If you're if you've got a regular job and you're just doing this in your free time. You know, it can take you five years to make a game if you just kind of plink away at it slowly. That's fine if that's if that's how it works for you. Um, but 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 do it. But continue to work on it. If it if it you know if you're somebody that wants to schedule, okay, every Tuesday and Thursday evening, I'm going to sit down for two hours and design. Um, or if you're just going to give yourself like a, every month, I'm going to give myself a debt a, a goal. Like I'm going to try to have four more pages written this month, or I'm going to try to have uh, I'm going to I'm going to play test the game four times with friends this month or whatever it is, you know, just motivate yourself to, to, to it and just make sure that it's keeping moving forward. Right. Um, because it's very easy to decide, well, I'll just take a little break from it for a little while. And next thing you know, it's two years later and you're going to try to redesign die laughing again. No, <laughs> I think everybody um, has literally been there. Yeah. <laughs> and also there's a, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of internet out there. There's a lot of resources you can find um, if you're looking for information about designing a particular type of game, or if you're looking for um, information on how to kickstart or um, how to publish um, in, just in general, or how to find you know you, do you need to find artists or, or or an editor, graphic designer, or whatnot? There's there's websites that can help you find those people. There's advice that can help you find those people. Um, there are some things that just kind of you know. Keep an eye out for every so often you see like on Twitter there'll be like a hashtag of, of, of artists who are just presenting like here's here's a picture of me and here's four of my pieces of artwork and then just like for, for two weeks under some hashtag this is just happening. There's just all these artists that are doing it. And some of those artists are just people that do it for fun and they enjoy it. But some of those are people that take commissions and do jobs. Right. Um, and you might find a, a, a artist that's looking to kind of get some uh, – I don't want to say get some exposure. Pay Don't say your that. Freelancers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're, they're looking for that first opportunity to, to do something professionally or they're looking for their first opportunity to do something in gaming. Maybe they love gaming and they, they'd love to write you know, or love to, uh, to draw something for a game. They just – there's not a lot of game companies out there, relatively speaking, to the number of artists. Um, and so maybe they're having a hard time finding you. You can seek them out. Um, the resources are all there. You just uh, you just got to spend the time. You can make the game. You just have to spend the time, and you have to keep doing it and keep moving forward. Right. Well, we are super thankful that you uh, took the time to to hang out with us today. Can you can you tell us if people want to look into your games, where can where can they find all of this stuff? Well, they can find um, murders and acquisitions and caper at drivethroughrpg.com. Um, PDF, book form, all sorts of support material, all sorts of cool stuff. Capers plays with playing cards, so there's a 
you can get a deck of cards that are really cool and themed for capers, although you can play with regular playing cards too. Um, you can go to uh, drive uh, to uh, sorry to nerdburgergames.com. Um, that's the company website where I blog around uh, a fair bit. It's it's been a little slower lately because kind of ran out of things to talk about when capers <laughs> got fulfilled. Um, <laughs> a bit about uh, the process of what I'm working on and everything. I'm pretty transparent and try to um, use that as a marketing tool and, and to connect with uh, with potential customers or fans. Um, I'm at nerdburger Craig on Twitter and um, you can go right now and you can get over to Kickstarter and find Die Laughing um, should be up and running hopefully doing well Um, it's a $10 buy-in to the PDF of the game and a discount link to purchase um, a soft cover book um, at cost if you want do you know Um, do you know what that cost will be it's like three and a half bucks yeah Oh. (laughs) oh my gosh plus shipping you know um, yeah, the, the paper ink and glue. It's you know, it's like three bucks or three and a half, three and a half bucks, I think. Yeah, and if and if you're listening and you're not sure if die laughing is what you want to li- want to play or not, you know, we did a live play on it on this podcast a couple of episodes ago, and you can find that. And uh, we're gonna put links to all of Craig's stuff uh, <laughs> on on our website, honorrollpodcast.com. If you go there and look up this episode on that page, we'll have all of those links as well. If if you missed it when he. Uh, when he said it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. We had a ton of fun hanging out with you when we were at L- HLGCon, and uh, I can't wait to make sure you're at Cleveland Geekster next year. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, next year, I'll, next year, Cleveland Geekster time, I'll have three completed games, almost, you know, hopefully, if all goes well, um, a supplement to one of them. Um, yeah, there'll be all sorts of cool stuff to bring to you. You'll actually have a, a table full of product. That's right. Yeah, it's it's weird. I've I've had this realization in just the past few months that a few months ago I was a guy who eh, made a game, and I've got a little company called Nerdburger Games, and I made this one game. <laughs> right. And now a couple, you know, like like that that was a couple months ago because Capers wasn't done, and a couple months from now I'm going to be a guy who has three games. That's right. <laughs> It'll be you know, Nerdburger it well. games. And like suddenly I'm like whoa 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 whoa. This was like I was just a guy with a game, and now I'm like a honest to goodness, you know, like game company with multiple product lines and stuff. It's <laughs> it's just starting to set in. That's super super awesome. We're really happy for you, and we really appreciate you spending time with us today. Oh, you are welcome. I was I got to know all you guys, you know, quite a bit actually before this. Well, we got the game together. I mean, I've I've been chatting with Ryan for probably what six months now. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. So sorry. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> kind of here and there. It was great to finally, you know, hang out in person, and uh, more than happy to be on your podcast here. Yeah, well, you know, uh, for folks listening have kind of heard we we talk about the Gun Belt, the game that I'm developing, kind of off and on here, just peripherally, uh, and and you know, you're one of the the one of the few game designers that's actually not. Uh, I don't know if it's that you're not afraid to help others who are are getting into the business or if you uh, just enjoy sort of the mentoring process or what, but you are are one of the few designers and uh, game developers that really has very much opened sort of your uh, your book of, of tricks, as it was. You pulled the curtain back. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's been wonderful that uh, somebody's got a train. Is that your train? That's me. That's my train. <laughs> Yeah, Capers did so well, I can afford a train. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say that as soon as Ryan met you and started interacting with you, he was talking about how much you were helping him in some fa- 
in one way or another. Even not about, knowing it, even not knowing you were helping me, just <laughs> right. the stuff that you were posting and things. Yeah, like was very helpful. And things like uh, in, insight into how to run successful Kickstarters and design ideas. And I appreciate it because I really want to play his game. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, it is it is something that I genuinely enjoy. And I have, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people, like my first freelance jobs were because people took a chance and gave me uh, doing something and, and kind of coached me and helped me. And I learned a lot from uh, developers that I worked with while I was freelancing about learning, you know, like just the ins and outs of game design. Um, and I've had a number of people that have helped me to figure out publishing stuff and for advice on running a Kickstarter and all that. So I'm, I'm happy to pay it forward to other people. I genuinely enjoy it. Um, and I am a firm believer that there is no such thing as too many games. I agree. So, well, as one game, of, man, play as gun one belt. of the, I want to play gun belt, get something, <laughs> get something together. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> well, great. All right. So, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe when, when Capers Noir comes out or, or whatever else comes next, uh, we'll get you back on here and we'll talk about that. Always. Sure. All right. All right. Well, Craig, you get uh, 19 experience points. That is uh, nine for creating a cool game and 10 for Skyping into an even cooler podcast. Not, I'm just kidding. It was the other way around. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Carrie, you get 5 XP for attendance, and All you right. get uh, 12 XP for uh, leading us on a five-year journey to completion <laughs> on your the, uh, Where no man lark. has gone before. That's, That's right. right. Jason, you get 5 XP for attendance, and, uh, um, and that's it. That's fine I was me. Gonna, well, no, I was going to give him more XP, but I didn't see him over there because he's got a camouflage hat on. That's and true. So okay. I looked, and I, he just blended right fair. in. That's okay, right. Fair. And it, unfortunately, this time, it cost him XP. Mm. Yeah. That's happened to me at LARP before. Everybody yeah. knows. I'm well known for being quiet. It's true. But you, <laughs> I am going to give you one one bonus XP, though, uh, for wearing your HLG Con t-shirt yeah, to this recording. Absolutely. I feel like that's uh, that's that's one XP worthy. Sure. Yeah. All right. Josh told me that if I backed him on Kick, I get five XP in whatever game I'm playing. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. Not not just games he runs. Yeah, and that goes for any game. Just ever. randomly. He if told, I wear the hair. He has a lot of he power. He told me that that goes for everyone. Everyone, yes. If, if you back him on Kickstarter, <laughs> he will give you extra XP in any game he runs. That's right. All right. Yeah. So is that. I heard it. I heard it. You heard it? He yeah. said it. Okay. Yeah. I had it in writing, but I misplaced it. That's right. It's still good, though. But yeah, because we saw it. We know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, join us next week. We'll be talking all about MS Paint and how to use it to design amazing cutting-edge character sheets. Uh, Whoa. Uh. Till next time, remember, this is the Honor Roll Podcast, and the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun in MS Paint. <laughs> <laughs> We'd, we'd pay someone to make the sheets using a better program like Mac Paint, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll find someone who'll do it, you know, for the exposure. Oh. Okay, bye. and opinions expressed on the Honor Roll podcast belong to just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else. All of the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Incompetech.com